Well, good evening. We're so happy that you are here. And I know that you guys may be still greeting each other in the chat, and that's fine because I love when I see names popping up of familiar faces, of new names, I should say, of people that we are welcoming to our New Hope Church online. Uh, I love it when I see people put aloha from Texas or aloha watching from Dubai. You know, I, I love that. So please, please do that. Let us know where you're watching from. At this time, we're going to pray over our tithes and our offerings. And, you know, here at Hilo, yesterday, we had a beautiful rainbow. You know, when it starts kind of raining and it's cloudy, a rainbow popped up. And my grandkids were so excited. And it made me think about Noah and God's promise, you know, that he would never flood the earth. And I thought about Noah and his journey on the ark. Forty days and forty nights it rained. But if you think about it, they were on the ark in that season that lasted way over 40 days and 40 nights because after the rain stopped, the world was still flooded. And so they needed to wait and ride out that season. And it was about a little over a year, I believe, that they were on the ark before they touched land. And so I thought about the season that we're in right now and this whole season of COVID, it's way more than 40 days and 40 nights. It's almost, I don't know how long more is going to be like this. But the season that we're in, we got to remember that God is with us. And for Noah, when they did land, imagine being on that ark with all those animals and his in-laws. Right? For that long. So when they touched shore, what did he do? What was the first thing he did? If it was me, I would have been like, I'm free. No. He gave thanks to the Lord and he worshiped God. He worshiped him and gave his thanks. And so during this season that we're in with COVID, we got to remember to always give thanks and to worship our Lord. So let's pray over our tithes and our offerings. Father, we just thank you. We, we come before you and we bring our hearts, we bring our offerings to you, God. And may we always remember that no matter what season that we are in, no matter how long it goes on, that you are with us. And so we should always take the time to worship you, to praise you, and to thank you for all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Kat. You know, God is a generous God. And we're going to see just how generous he is as we take a look at the book of Luke. But before we do, we just want to welcome you again to our Wednesday night Equip and Disciple. Um, and I just want to give a big shout out and aloha to all of our veterans out there. Happy Veterans Day, you guys, to all the men and women who have served our country. Um, and also, I want to just pray a blessing over those that continue to serve in our armed forces. So, Lord, I just ask that you would bless them, that you would watch over them and their families, keep them strengthened and protected. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so whew, tonight we are going to take a uh, drive through or a flyover of the book of Luke. And I'm going to try my best to maximize my time because it is jammed packed. And why is it packed with so much good stuff? It's because it's a story of Jesus. Okay, and so tonight we're going to have not one, but two videos of the Bible Project. So 
bear with me. Get your Bibles ready. We're going to just kind of dive in, and I'm super excited because Luke is a very interesting book. Okay, we're going to learn some facts, and I'm just super excited. I just want to say thank you for those of you, for you, for being intentional with your walk with Jesus. You know, being intentional with getting equipped and sharpening your sword and allowing God to disciple you. And that's why we're here. And this is why we believe so strongly in the importance of being equipped and being discipled because we are being used as God's story right now in whatever realm of influence you may have. You're telling his story. So, you know, our goal of tonight is that you would have, you would be inspired. In fact, we're going to ask God for right now where you're at. Let's just pause for a second, okay? And I want you to ask God for revelation for tonight. I want you to ask him to speak to you and inspire you with something about tonight, what we're going to learn. And we talk about, dry, you know, this flyover. Have you ever uh, flown over Waikiki? Have you ever, like, flown over maybe L.A. or New York? And have you just gone like, oh, been there, done that. Okay, I've seen it. No. You want to land the plane so that you can go and experience this place for yourself. And that's exactly what we're going to do tonight. We're going to do this flyover of Luke. You're going to check it out. But I'm praying that you would be inspired to land the plane and go and experience it for yourself. Because, you know, you know, Luke, what's interesting is that Luke didn't physically walk with Jesus, okay? He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't there. But, you know, he heard about Jesus. He witnessed and experienced transformation for himself. And then what happened was he decided he couldn't stay idle. He needed to do this thorough investigation of this man, this Messiah called Jesus, especially knowing that it was fulfilling the promises of God, okay? And so he went, and he was like, all right, let's do this. The Holy Spirit inspired him. He wasn't set out to write another gospel, but he wanted to write an, a, an accurate account of the story of Christ, it's the story of us, and I'm so excited. Like, I just got goosebumps just thinking about it because this right here explains to us, shows us God's generosity, shows us how much he loves and cares for us, and how your story, my story, are intertwined with his, and that we can be that testimony for who Christ is and who God is in the world that we live in today. So I'm super excited. So, you know, when I do like a study, I actually uh, like to do some background check. I mean, for those of you that know me, like when I go on vacation or even if I just go on a day trip, what I try to do is like, hey, where are we going to go? And I check out all kinds of things. Like I'll check out reviews or like, where should we go? How long is it going to take us to get here? And what about this? So I like to do some kind of like recon before I go. And what I did is, like, I like to think about who the author was, who were they, kind of like, what were their reason behind not just being inspired, but who is this person? So who's Luke? Well, there's a couple of things, or maybe a few uh, things that I like to share, just a little background before we dive in tonight. Luke 
was a Gentile. So what is a Gentile? Anyone that's not Jewish, basically. So if you're not Jewish, guess what? You're a Gentile. That's everybody else, all right? He was a Gentile. In fact, he was the only Gentile author uh, that wrote a book that's in the Bible. Everyone else was Jewish, um, or one of God's chosen. So here we have Luke. He's a Gentile, but he wasn't just any Gentile. He was very smart. He, his vocabulary, you could tell he's also the author of Acts. Uh, he is, his vocabulary is kind of like up there, so you know he's educated. His focus was more on the Greek audience, the Gentile audience. So you could tell that he was more comfortable with the Greek vocabulary because he wasn't just reaching those that knew the Jewish laws or the traditions. He was talking to us. He was like, hey, how do I share Jesus to someone who doesn't understand the, the old laws or the old ways or the traditions? How do I explain who Jesus is to someone who's just a Gentile? And that's what Luke was. He was not a Jew, Jew um, author. He was a Gentile. Another cool fact about Luke is that he was a physician. He was a doctor, okay? And he lived a very comfortable life in Antioch. He hung out with people who were scholars, and he was educated again, and he was a physician. So that was kind of cool. And you can kind of see that, the, the side of a physician as you read through Luke. You know, he talks a lot. He, bring, he focuses a lot on Jesus' healing the sick and, and poor, because that's what he was kind of like intrigued about. Like, who is this man going around healing people? You know, that's what I do. And so it kind of like gave him something in common. And so you can kind of see that flavor throughout his writing. Another cool fact is that Luke was a pretty humble man. And how do we know that? It's because not once does Luke say he wrote the book. Like not once does he even mention himself. We know that he did because Paul actually mentions it. And another cool fact, I just love these facts, uh, that Luke probably met some of the apostles. And how do we know that? Well, we know that Luke was mentioned by Paul, so he hung out with Paul, he traveled with Paul, and he's, remember now, he's doing an investigation. He is writing an orderly account of who Jesus is. So he, of course, he's, he is being inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he also has to do his part. So we know that Matthew and Mark were also at the, probably about the same time have been inspired. They were already inspired, in fact, to write their Gospels. And so Matthew and Mark also knew Paul. And so can you just imagine, like, it's like, hey, you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, can you, can you um, get me an interview with Matthew so I can kind of, like, pick his brain about something? Because he wanted eyewitnesses' accounts. Like, he wanted accounts of people that were really there. And he didn't want it to be like, oh, yeah, I know this guy. Oh, I know of Jesus. No, these men walked with Jesus. These men were the apostles, and these men were the ones that were sent out. So here is Luke, all right? And he's making this uh, interview, this uh, record of who Jesus is, and he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit, okay? Because he's witnessing, and he's telling the testimonies, telling us the story from beginning, God's involvement, God's fulfillment, the power, the passion, the purpose, the plan, of Jesus. Let's take a look at part one. The Gospel according to Luke 
It's one of the earliest accounts of Jesus' life, and it's actually part one of a unified two-volume work, Luke Acts. If you compare the opening lines of both of these books, it's clear that they come from the same author. And there are internal clues in the book of Acts, as well as an early tradition that identifies the author as Luke, the traveling companion and co-worker of Paul the Apostle, who we know was also a doctor. Luke opens his work with a preface telling us how and why he wrote this book. He acknowledges that there's many other fine accounts of Jesus' life out there, but he wanted to go back to the eyewitness traditions of as many early disciples as he could in order to produce what he calls an orderly account about the things that have been fulfilled among us. Now that word fulfilled shows us why Luke wrote this account. For him, the story of Jesus isn't just ancient history. He wants to show how it's the fulfillment of the long covenant story of God and Israel, and bigger than that, of the story of God in the whole world. The book's design is fairly clear. There's a long introduction that sets up the stories of John the Baptist and Jesus. Then in chapters 3 to 9, Luke presents a robust portrait of Jesus and his mission in his home region of Galilee. After that, the large midsection of the book is Jesus' long journey to Jerusalem, which leads to the story's climax, Jesus' final week in Jerusalem leading up to his death and resurrection, which then leads on into the book of Acts. In this video, we're just going to focus on the first half of Luke's gospel. The extended introduction tells in parallel the birth stories of John the Baptist and Jesus. So you have this elderly priestly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then this young unmarried woman, Mary and Joseph. They both receive an unlikely divine promise that they're going to have a son. Both promises are fulfilled then, as John and then Jesus are born, and both parents sing poems of celebration. Now these poetic songs, they're filled with echoes from the Old Testament Psalms and prophets, showing how these children will fulfill God's ancient promises. But these poems also preview each child's role in the story to follow. So John is the prophetic messenger promised in the Torah and the prophets who's going to prepare Israel to meet their God. And Jesus, he's the messianic king promised to David who's going to bring God's reign over Israel and God's blessing to the nations just like he promised to Abraham. After this, Mary brings Jesus to the Jerusalem temple for his dedication, and two elderly prophets, Anna and Simeon, they see Jesus and they recognize who he is. And Simeon sings his own song, a poem inspired by the prophet Isaiah. He says, this child is God's salvation for Israel, and he will become a light to the nations. So with all this anticipation, the story moves forward into the next main section where Luke presents Jesus and his mission. He sets the stage with John's renewal movement at the Jordan River where he's calling a new, repentant, recommitted Israel into existence through baptism. He's preparing for the arrival of God's kingdom. And then Jesus appears as the leader of this new Israel and he's marked out by the spirit and the voice of God from heaven. He is the beloved son of God. After this, Luke follows with the genealogy, and it traces Jesus' origins back to David, then back to Abraham, and then all the way back to Adam from the book of Genesis. Luke's claiming here that Jesus is the messianic king of Israel who will bring God's blessing, but not only to Israel, the family of Abraham. He is here for all the sons of Adam, for all humanity. After this, Luke has strategically placed the story of Jesus going to his hometown, Nazareth, where he launches his public mission. At a synagogue gathering, Jesus stands up and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor and freedom for the prisoners, new sight for the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. 
Now, along with the other Gospels, Jesus is presented here, he's the messianic king bringing the good news of God's kingdom. But what Luke uniquely highlights are the social implications of Jesus' mission. So he brings freedom. The Greek word is aphasis. It literally means release, and it refers to the ancient Jewish practice of the year of Jubilee described in Leviticus 25. It's when all Israelite slaves were released, when people's debts were canceled, when land that was sold is returned back to families. It's all a symbolic reenactment of God's liberating justice and mercy. And then Jesus says that this good news of release is specifically for the poor. Now, in the Old Testament, the poor, or in Hebrew, ani, it's a much broader category than just people who don't have very much money. It refers also to people of low social status in their culture, like people with disabilities or women and children and the elderly. It also can include social outsiders, like people of other ethnic groups or people whose poor life choices have placed them outside acceptable religious circles. And Jesus says that God's kingdom is especially good news for these people. So after this, Luke immediately puts in front of us a large block of stories showing us what Jesus' good news for the poor looks like. It involves the healing of a bedridden sick woman or a man who has a skin disease or someone who's paralyzed. There are stories here also about Jesus welcoming into his community a tax collector like Levi, who's not financially poor, but he is a social outsider. There's a story about Jesus forgiving a prostitute. Luke's showing us how Jesus' kingdom brought restoration and reversal of people's whole life circumstances. He's expanding the circle of people who get invited in to discover the healing power of God's kingdom. And as Jesus' mission attracts a large following, he does something even more provocative. He forms these people into a new Israel by appointing over them the 12 disciples as leaders corresponding to the 12 tribes of Israel. And then Jesus teaches his manifesto of an upside-down kingdom, or as Luke calls it, the sermon given on the plain. He says God's love for the outsider and the poor means that his kingdom brings a reversal of all of our value systems. He is here to form a new alternative people of God who are going to respond to Jesus' invitation by practicing radical generosity, by serving the poor. People who are going to lead by serving and live by peacemaking and forgiveness. People who are deeply pious but who reject religious hypocrisy. Now, Jesus' radical kingdom vision, his claim to divine authority, it starts to generate resistance and controversy, especially from Israel's religious leaders. His outreach to questionable people, it's a threat to their religious traditions and their sense of social stability. And so they start accusing Jesus of blaspheming God, of being a drunk and mixing with sinners. And so this section culminates in a new revelation of Jesus' mission to his disciples. He says that Yes, he is the messianic king and that he's going to assert his reign over Israel by dying in Jerusalem, by becoming the suffering servant king of Isaiah 53 who dies for the sins of Israel. And then this shocking idea, it gets explored in the next story as Jesus goes up a mountain with three of his disciples and he's suddenly transformed in front of them. They're enveloped in this cloud of God's presence who announces, this is my chosen son. And then Moses and Elijah are there, the two other prophets who encountered God's presence and voice on a mountain. And Luke tells us that they're talking together about Jesus' exodus that he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. Now that Greek word exodus, it's a clear reference to the exodus story. 
Luke is portraying Jesus here as a new Moses who will lead his newly formed Israel into freedom and release from the tyranny of sin and evil in all of its forms, personal, spiritual, and social. And that's going to lead us into the second half of the book. But for now, that's the first half of the Gospel according to Luke. So good. Like, don't you just love these videos? They're so animated. And I don't know about you, but I always get inspired to kind of check it out again. So if you want to, after the message, go check it out, Bible Project on YouTube. All right, so if you're taking notes, we're going to do number one. Oh, wait, before we write down your notes, and I really hope you're taking notes because studies show that we don't really retain a lot of information. So we got to do our part. You know, I love taking notes so that I can go back and refer to them, or why did I have that thought, or how does that, you know, work out right now? In, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I learned that we have these two parts of our brain that store long-term memory. One is called systematic memory, and the other one is called auto autobiographical memory. All right, so the systematic one is where we store data, you know, things that we've kind of learned and over and over and over again. And then there's the biographical one where we kind of learn through experience. And that's why I wanted you to pray and ask God for a revelation because I want you to not just know about Luke or what the gospel of Luke has to offer. I want you to experience it because there's a reason why it's in the Bible. God wants you to experience his love and experience him, okay? So just remember that uh, as we are going through or any type of study that you're doing, it's really important for us to ask God to participate with us because you know what? God is here and he wants to speak to you, all right? So number one, know and follow Jesus. Luke offers us to examine for ourselves the life of Jesus and his mission. He gives us his family background, God's involvement, and shows us how we are part of the plan. How can you get to know Jesus? You know, for me, it's spending time with him. It's getting to know his heart, his character, his plan for my life. And like any relationship, it's not just, oh, I know of someone. I know him. You know, you, in, in any relationship, you got to spend time, quality time with this person. And that's what I want to encourage with you. It's like, get to know Jesus. And when you get to know him, trust me, you're going to want to follow him. His ways are so much better than ours. John uh, 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, God has this plan. He has this master plan. And he, his plan was to just be in unity with us. And that's what it was in the beginning in the garden. And then, you know, sin and the fall of man. And God still wants the same thing. And he offers us a way back to him through his son Jesus. What a generous God we serve. What a loving father that we have. And he's like, hey, you want to know Jesus? When you get to know Jesus, guess what happens? You end up knowing the way. Your family, your friends, people that are lost, they're going to come to you because if you know Jesus, guess what? You know the way. 
When you know Jesus, you'll know life. You'll know truth. And then we'll be able to show others the way to the Father. And that's salvation. And we get to do that with our testimony. So know and follow Jesus. Jesus offers freedom, a release from bondage and sin. You know, his blood was the redemption that covered us. He did the hard part. Now we get to choose. We have that freedom to choose whether we step out of bondage and step into grace and mercy, or do we want to just say, you know what, I got it. I can do it on my own. And it's going to be really tough. Let me tell you, it's going to be really tough. But following Jesus is a choice. Now you can turn to this uh, after, Mark, uh, chapter 10, and you can read about it later, but this is a cool story that I've always liked that refers to the choice of choosing Jesus. And here we have the young rich ruler, the story of the young rich ruler, right? And it is 1017, so let me get to 1017. All right, so here it is. Now he was going out on the road. He is Jesus. One came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will, be, you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at the word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions." Here you have this young, rich ruler. So we know he had status. He recognized Jesus. How many times we've recognized Jesus, okay? We know, oh yeah, I know Jesus. He's so awesome. He's so good, okay? We recognize him. Sometimes we even kneel before him and call him teacher. Sometimes we say, okay, I'm willing to learn. I want to be discipled. And here's the thing. Even when Jesus said, okay, well, are you following my commandments? And this young rich ruler said, I've done all of that, thinking that it's performance that gets us to the Father. Thinking, well, if I only do this, then I can inherit this. Well, maybe if only I could be better, I would inherit this. See, and God loving him said, see, there's one thing you do lack. See, everybody saw what this young rich ruler was doing. He was worshiping God. He knelt before Jesus. But see, God doesn't look at all of everything else that's outside. What does God look at? He looks at the heart. And Jesus knew, hey, what is it that you lack? I know what you are unwilling to surrender. God doesn't respond to our actions of doing something good. He responds to what's in our heart. What are some things that keep us from following Jesus? What are some things perhaps, we, perhaps that we need to repent of? 
Could it be pride? Selfishness? Maybe doing things my way? How about taking offense? Or unforgiveness? Maybe it's your talent. Maybe it's your position. Maybe it's your possessions. Jesus set the example. He went first. He left heaven for earth for you. He set the example. What, what are you willing to surrender? What are you willing to sacrifice? And you read his story in Luke. You'll see his passion. You'll see his purpose. And you'll see the plan that he has for you. And it is salvation, not just for one, but for all. And that's the love story. That's the generosity of our God. Sometimes we're turned off by following Jesus because we think we have to be perfect. Absolutely not. There is no such thing of a perfect person except Jesus. And that's why God provides us the Holy Spirit. When it's activated inside of us, we are empowered to walk in a more godly way. It's his strength and not ours. I absolutely love this illustration of the Holy Spirit being activated. Uh, and we used to do this with camp or with our kids. You take a, a glass of milk and you say, you just ask God, hey, I want to I be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And guess what he does? He says, okay, I'm going to give it to you. And he squeezes it, this Hershey chocolate, all into the, to the glass of milk, okay? But you'll see it settle on the bottom. You'll see it settled. But then he says, now you have a choice to activate it. And what you have to do is you got to stir it up. And when it's activated, it can never go back. It can never go back to what it was. It is transformed. And that is number two. Be transformed by Jesus. Transformation is a process. Time and grace will and obedience, perseverance and character. There's no secret formula for transformation. It comes down to choice. Choosing to surrender and, and submit to Jesus. <laughs> you know, when I first got married, that word used to sting because I used to always be like, feel, I'm an independent woman and, you know, I don't need to submit to anybody. And, you know, I wasn't always as lovable as I am right now. I know it's hard to believe, uh, but when my husband and I first got married and we were young and we had children, uh, I, it was tough. I will tell you the first two years of marriage were so hard. They were hard for me, probably a breeze for Holy, but very hard for me. Um, I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom. I didn't want to be stuck at home every day. I didn't like to cook. I didn't like to clean. And I was miserable. And so I started to give in to, like, my emotions. And I started to feel trapped. And I realized that marriage takes work. Like, am I going to have this for the rest of my life? This is not what the movies show. 
This is not what everybody on TV is showing. And this is way back in the day before social media, all right? And I just was like, when Holy would come home from work, I'm like, please talk to me because I need some adult com communication. You know, and it was a struggle. But here's some things that I did know. I knew that I loved Holy. I knew that I loved my children. And I also knew that Jesus had a plan. I didn't know what his plan was, but I was like, we need to be doing something because this is like boring. And then I remember that I just asked the Lord, and he just kind of settled me, and I realized, I've got to make a decision here. Do I bail because of my feelings, or do I change? I chose to change. I said, Father, I need to be transformed. I, I cannot do this anymore. Praise the Lord. You know, Holy and I are celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary next month. And praise the Lord, my children survived me being a stay-at-home mom. And you know what? I love to cook now. That is a major transformation. This is not the same bunny. Praise the Lord. That's what happens when Jesus comes in and transforms you. You know, we need to be intentional about transformation. It is an actual miracle that takes place. That's the cool thing about when you read through Luke, you're going to see God's hand. You're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit in, in work. And that's what it is. When that transformation happens, when you allow Jesus to come and transform you, and you allow the Holy Spirit to be activated in your life, you're no longer going to go back to regular milk. You're going to be chocolate milk. And it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be delicious. And you're going to be able to be used in a very dynamic way. But it takes intentionality. And it is a miracle. Are you ready for a miracle? Let's check out part two. The Gospel According to Luke. In the first video, we explored Luke's portrayal of John the Baptist and Jesus as the fulfillment of the story of Israel and of God's promises told in the Old Testament scriptures. We then watched Jesus launch his mission and bring the good news of God's kingdom to the poor among Israel, people of low social status and also people who are outsiders. And Jesus taught that his kingdom is upside down. It's a reversal of all of our common social values. This section culminated with Luke showing us how Jesus was a new Moses about to bring a new exodus by his death in Jerusalem. And so we come to the large center section of the book where Jesus leads his newly formed Israel on a journey to Jerusalem. This part of the book consists mainly of Jesus' teaching and parables given on the road to the various people he encounters, mainly his growing group of disciples. And in this way, Luke portrays following Jesus as a journey. It's something you do where you learn as you go along life's path. So first, Jesus invites his disciples into his mission as he sends a wave of them to go ahead of him, announcing God's kingdom. So being a disciple right from the start, it means participating in Jesus' kingdom mission, making it your own. And as Jesus' disciples come back, he then starts to give various teachings about prayer, about trusting in God's provision. It's actually in these chapters of Luke that Jesus talks more about money, possessions, and generosity than anywhere else in his teachings. If following him is truly like being on the road, it should produce this minimalist mentality, creating a freedom from possessions that allows for radical generosity. 
Another key theme in these chapters is Jesus' continued mission to the poor. So as he travels, he keeps forming his new Israel, and he encounters all these people who are sick or blind. He meets Samaritans who are ancient enemies of the Jewish people. And famously, Zacchaeus, a Jewish man, but who heads up tax collection for the Romans. All of these social outsiders meet Jesus, and they're transformed by the encounter. And so they join his kingdom community, which Jesus describes as a great banquet party. He is here to seek and save the lost, and so he's celebrating when people discover the mercy of God. But not everybody at the party is happy. Luke includes multiple stories of Jesus at banquets with Israel's leaders, and these all become heated debates where Jesus confronts their pride and hypocrisy. And so these contrasting banquet parties, they're captured most memorably in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. So a father had two sons, and one foolishly ran away and squandered his inheritance. But he comes back eventually repentant, and his father forgives him, and he throws this huge party to celebrate my son who was lost but now is found. But the older brother, who never left his father, he's angry, and he resents his father's generosity to this undeserving son. In this famous parable, Jesus is explaining his whole kingdom mission to these leaders. His parties represent God's joyous welcome of every kind of person into his family. The only entry requirement is humility and repentance. And so it highlights the tragedy of Israel's leaders who reject Jesus and his upside-down kingdom community. And this resistance to Jesus, it ramps up, and he finally arrives in Jerusalem for Passover. As he nears the city, he's weeping. His disciples are hailing him as the Messianic king, but Israel's leaders are denouncing him. And he knows that their rejection of his kingdom of peace is going to set Israel on a road of resistance and rebellion against the Roman Empire, it will bring the city's downfall. And it's that destruction of Jerusalem that Jesus symbolically enacts. As he storms into the temple and he runs out the animal cellars, he brings the sacrificial system to a halt. And he says that this place of worship has become a den of rebels and will be destroyed. Now this act, of course, generates a whole series of debates between Jesus and Israel's leaders, all leading up to Jesus' prediction that the Roman armies will one day surround this city, it will desolate it and the temple all within a generation. With that, Jesus retreats with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal. It's the annual symbolic meal about Israel's liberation from slavery through the death of the lamb. And so Jesus turns the meal's bread and wine into new symbols about this new exodus. His broken body, his shed blood, will bring liberation for Jesus' renewed Israel. After the meal, Jesus is arrested and he's examined before the Jewish leaders and then put on trial as one claiming to be king. And Luke emphasizes Jesus' innocence. Pilate, the Roman governor, he claims that Jesus is innocent three times before giving in. Even Herod, the ruler of Galilee, finds nothing to accuse Jesus of. But the leaders finally compel Pilate to have him crucified, and so he is. But even in his painful death, Jesus embodies the love and the mercy of God he taught so much about. He offers God's forgiveness to the soldiers as they crucify him. And then when one of the criminals executed alongside Jesus realizes who he actually is, he says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus' final words are an offer of hope to a humiliated criminal. Today you will be with me in paradise. And so with this last act of generosity and kindness, Jesus dies.
His body's placed in a tomb, and on the first day of the week, some of Jesus' disciples come to the tomb only to find it empty. And there are two angelic figures there telling them that Jesus is alive, that he's risen from the dead, and so they leave with their minds blown. And it's right here that Luke tells one of his most beautiful stories. Two of Jesus' disciples, they're leaving Jerusalem for a town called Emmaus, and they're heartbroken over Jesus' death. And then suddenly, Jesus is there, just walking alongside them, but they don't recognize him. He asks why they're so sad, and they go on to talk about all of their hopes, that Jesus would have been the one to redeem Israel. But now he's dead. It was all for nothing. But then later, as Jesus has a meal with these two, he breaks bread for them, just as he did at the Passover meal, and it's in that moment that they recognize him, then he disappears. Luke is telling this story to make a powerful point about following Jesus. When Jesus' disciples impose their agenda and their view of reality on Jesus, he remains invisible and unknown to them. It's only when we submit ourselves to the upside-down kingdom of Jesus that's epitomized in his broken body on the cross, offered in self-giving love, it's only then that we see and know the real Jesus. The book's concluding scene is yet another meal. As Jesus appears to his disciples and he explains to them from the Old Testament scriptures how this was all a part of God's plan, that the Messiah would become Israel's king by suffering and dying for their sins and conquering their evil with his resurrection life. And so now, as Simeon the prophet promised back in chapter 2, Jesus' kingdom will move outward from Israel so God's forgiveness can be announced to the nations and everyone invited to follow Jesus. But, Jesus tells his disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Spirit to empower them for this new mission. And this, of course, keeps you reading right into Luke's second volume, the book of Acts. But for now, that's the gospel according to Luke. What a beautiful story of Jesus. I want you guys to take some time and land the plane. Go and experience and discover. In fact, take your Bible, turn to Luke, and see for yourself the goodness of God. It starts off with his birth, and it just shows the background. You show the relationships that are happening. Then you go and you start seeing the parables and how Jesus was teaching, and and then you get to the place where he's crucified. You start to begin, you'll see the theme of this book and the theme of salvation. You'll begin to realize that this the story of Jesus was for you. And that it doesn't stop right there. It's now in you. And how do we share his story? It's through your testimony. His testimony in you. And you see the goodness of our God that he goes to the cross and even while being nailed to the cross, what does he utter? He says, forgive them, Father, for they do not know. He's offering forgiveness to those Roman soldiers that were piercing his body and then hanging on the cross while he is next to two criminals. He offers it again. One decides, nope. He's just going to stay bitter to the very end. And the other says, wait a minute. If that's true, 
then I want what you have to offer. And what does Jesus say? He offers him salvation. Today you will be in paradise with me. This love letter ends with, in this one chapter at the very end, before Jesus ascends, says, then he says to them, thus it is written, and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And you are the witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. We are not alone, friends. We are not here wandering the earth as if we have no direction. We have everything right here. And he offers it up to us as an invitation. Luke wanted to teach people about the Savior and the glorious salvation Jesus offers to all mankind. So in closing, our last point, be on mission with Jesus. Be on mission with Jesus. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus was on mission. In fact, he still is in us. Am I seeking out those who need to hear the good news? Do I share his story with others? Am I living a life that reflects him? Jesus came to seek us out and offer the invitation of salvation. Not just for us, but for all mankind. Tonight, as we conclude, I'm actually not going to give you a reflection question tonight because I believe we asked for it earlier when we asked God to reveal something. And I believe God did. God speaks. And he speaks to you. And I want you to spend some time reflecting on that revelation. Maybe share it with somebody. But remember that your story matters. Because if it's Jesus' story in you, we're not done yet. His passion, his purpose, and his plan includes you includes all of us. And maybe tonight, you know, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus and perhaps maybe there are some things that you need to surrender that you haven't really surrendered fully. Yes, we love Jesus as our Savior. Everybody wants to be saved, but are you willing to submit to his authority and make him Lord? he's the only way to the Father. And we're given this invitation. And so maybe we've been living a mediocre testimony. 
Maybe we have we think, oh, it's everybody else's responsibility. Maybe it's Pastor Sheldon's or or maybe it's the church's responsibility. Hey guys, we are the church. It's all of our responsibility. Are we on mission with him? Do we want to seek and save the lost? Or do we think we want it to just be for us? Like the prodigal son, he was so upset. Or maybe the rich young ruler that's unwilling to give up the possessions that maybe he worked so hard for. Everybody wants to inherit all the goodness, but what's your part? Maybe you've been thinking, Lord, I want to surrender these things to you. And you just don't know how. Why don't we ask for the Holy Spirit's help? Why don't we ask right now, Father, send your Spirit. Send your Holy Spirit and fulfill your promises in my life. Send your Holy Spirit so that I may walk in you and in your goodness, that I would be able to share the plans, the love, and the passion of your son Jesus with my family or my co-workers or even my, my children. But I need your spirit. So ask. Ask for his anointing right now. Ask. And he will pour it out. And maybe you've actually never experienced salvation. Maybe you've never been stirred. Or maybe you have been stirred and you haven't taking that step in accepting the invitation because you think, well, I have to be better. I have to kind of get things correct. You're wrong. God meets you where you're at and then he transforms you. He nurtures you. He allows you to mature and grow. And you watch the changes happen. If that's you, and you want to say yes to Jesus, do so. Say, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me, for my sins. That you have set me free from bondage and sin. That you have given me new life and freedom that you've done all of this because of your love. So I give you my life. Come into my heart. Change me. Use me. I surrender to you. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. Amen.